0: Hiya, I'm Christina from Tāmaki
1: Makaurau, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what is something that you thought you knew but had utterly
2: wrong? Okie dokie, here comes the show, and remember, question everything.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer, hello and a mix of very special guests
0: posed the questions that need to be asked and we're talking everything from we are talking everything from christina from new zealand's question oh that's good isn't it new zealand what is something you thought you knew that was actually wrong now that's that's quite a clever question. It uh, makes me think about how I used to not like olives and then I re- <laughs> and then in later life I <laughs> not a particularly profound one that one I'd say, but you know. So it's just a slight change to your palate is the only thing you've been wrong about, Howard. <laughs> well, I didn't like the didn't like the stones, didn't like the stones. But the olive without the stones, oh, love an olive. <laughs> <laughs> probably not what you were looking for, Christina. I imagine was my changing life of olives. But you know, yeah. um,
1: So I would say, I mean, I mean, there are so many things, but I'd say probably one of the biggest things would be I thought I knew that Pluto was a planet in our solar system, and then found out it most definitely wasn't. Um, which is very interesting and I think it's uh, and because of that Christina it's taught me the virtue of being open to new ideas and uh, uh, most truths are a matter of perception perception, and also facts can be retested especially scientifically so Mm. you can always you can always measure theory again Um, there you go
0: Christina hope that answers your question Uh, and suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions don't we Dave
1: absolutely and at the time that we answer them we usually think they're right but we're open to them being wrong as well with that being said if you do like the show please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode or you can subscribe to us on ACAST the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests with that being said on today's show is a British political commentator, policy advisor and campaigner. He is the senior fellow at the Research Institute Policy Exchange, a centre-right to, to right-wing think tank. He was the Brexit Party candidate in Broxtow but dropped out to support the Conservative candidate, and has also held various positions in political organisations and campaigns, including Defund the BBC, Unite to Leave and The Conservative Way Forward. He is also a regular contributor to the Daily Mail, Daily Telegraph and GB News. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Calvin Robinson.
2: What a lovely introduction! Thank you very much, Dave.
0: Was that nice? No, no. Was it? Did you enjoy it?
2: <laughs> I sometimes I forget all the stuff I've done, so it's nice to have it reeled off in that way.
1: Well, I feel like yeah, you should have uh, have have your work chronicled, um, and uh, I guess. Depending on who, depending on on whose ideological or political disposition, celebrated. So it, it varies from <laughs> person to person. Yeah, um, not,
0: not all of our listeners are going to be high fiving about those things, there, Calvin. I think, but that, that's why you're here, yeah, right? right? That,
1: that being said, that being said, <laughs> I should probably include Calvin, and I'm sure you will be fine with this. Um, also, devout Christian and uh, man of God. Absolutely. I Should probably include that as well. That should be um, the first thing. That, ah, that's a okay. Interesting point. Interesting point. And and interestingly yeah it leads to an interesting point about intersectionality because i would say obviously i I, i've I've done some research calvin and i'm somewhat aware of your work um i'd say your narrative is interesting because obviously there's a lot of connotations to someone who's a regular columnist in the daily mail and the daily telegraph but it's very interesting to see that your uh theological disposition is what you like to lead with more than your political or ideological one yeah
2: absolutely Um,
1: have you always been have you always been a christian
2: um, I haven't always been a Christian, no. Uh well, not in the way that I am now, at least. Uh-huh. Um, I've always um been in search of my faith. I've always it's been a long journey. Uh-huh. It took me a long time to get here, but I've always been, I don't like the word spiritual, but that's I suppose that's the best way to put it. I didn't have an organized religion uh-huh. uh, for, for all of my life, but I've always you know prayed and all of that. But I do try to center my life around my faith, I think. Okay. You know, you mentioned intersectionality, and you know, identity is a very prevalent thing at the moment. The core of my identity is Christianity, and everything else comes after that. And I try to, you know, my politics, my uh, whether what kind of musicalist, everything comes from um, my trying to organize my life towards living a life in Christ, um, which is. Why I always find it fascinating when people say it's you know right wing or centre right wing or whatever. I'm not. I'm just trying to live by Christian values. Yeah. And you know, you listed off these these uh, newspapers that I've read for. Uh, you know. They don't dict the, the papers don't dictate my po- policies. It's more like they are the, they just happen to be the ones that are most open minded. I've written for the, the Guardian only once, but you know p- mm-hmm. papers on the left don't tend to be as open minded or want to hear from a broad spectrum as papers like the Telegraph and the Daily That's what I find it, mate? <laughs>
1: interesting. Yeah, interesting point and fair enough. Um, and I mean, I would say as well, so far as the uh, landscape, uh, as I say, the editorial and uh, discursive landscape of podcasts. I imagine you may have encountered the same kind of adversity as well um we make it a point of principle at question everything to do what we say on the tin, which is question everything and uh as i said um friends and uh, colleagues have both recommended that we uh, invite you to conversation. So um,
0: so with that you, in mind, it's probably hear. time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the uh, as the format of this show dictates?
1: Thank you, Howard. A very polite way of saying that I've spoken enough. And uh, no, Calvin, uh, the floor <laughs> is uh, yours, essentially. Um, as our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question, which can be any question you'd like, which Howard and I would like to discuss with you for about 15 minutes. Howard would then like to also pose you a question, which we'd like to discuss at the same time. And um, in straight, linear fashion, I would like to do the same thing and pose a question to you to discuss for 15 minutes. And following our discussion, um, if it would please you to tell um, our listeners where they can find out more about your work and narratives and see more of the dimensions to the God-loving and fearing Calvin
2: Robinson. How does that sound? (laughs) Sounds good to me. Cool. Well, the floor is yours, sir, to ask the first question. Okay, so it's kind of a two-parter, I suppose. But um, what do you believe freedom to mean? And are we a people that cares about freedom? Ooh. What inspired this
0: question, Calvin?
2: Uh, well, the current climate. Because I find that, I, well, I've always thought that we were the British people were a people that believed in you know civil liberties and an individual's right to live their life as they see fit. You know, an Englishman's home is his castle. Invite whoever you want around. Discuss whatever you like. But all of these are all of these things are changing some of them because of COVID. So we've had restrictions on who you're allowed to invite into your own home. Some of these things are changing because of politics. So in Scotland, you know, you can be arrested in your own home for saying something that other people find offensive, or this whole hate crime, hate speech situation. Uh, The the way we see ourselves as free beings is changing. Where we're allowed to go, how long we're allowed outside our home, uh, who we're allowed to spend time with. All of these things have limits now, and they never have before. But I'm worried that I don't think people care, or I don't think a lot of people care. Um, I think people care more about their security. And I find that fascinating because if you give up freedom for the sake of security, are you still free?
1: It's a a good question. And uh, I imagine, yeah, it's, um, and I think the last 18 months have definitely been a catalyst for this discussion about personal and civil freedoms, which um, I find very interesting, Um, particularly, um, you know, as I said, you know, as, as... I am I'm, I actually feel like, and I guess when I did think about freedom, I do it from a, philosoph- a philosophical position where I guess I would have to ponder when I'd seen a state of freedom in the first place to know whether or not it had been taken away. And I, I say that, um, I suppose, with... Um, I'll, t- I'll take the example of, let's say, uh, enterprise or like uh, fr- uh, free market uh, economics where, you know... It's the idea within a free market is that if you have an idea and or a product or service, you should be able to enter in a free market of commerce and be able to exchange your good or service for monetary value. But governments tend to oversee a lot of that, whereby you may require a vending license. You may require a license to sell a particular product like a spirit. And so you may not necessarily be completely free. And then another example, I guess, would be um, a lot of the time, in these more intense uh, discussions we have about um, political ideology or, or religion, um, a lot of the time, if people uh, say something that you know the group at large don't so let's say for example, what may be referred to as the woke left may object to statements made by uh, particular people in the public eye, and the rebuttal is, well, that person has freedom of speech. I would say, has there ever been freedom of speech? Because we have regulatory bodies such as Ofcom and we have laws such as libel laws which exist for the sole reason to curtail or reprimand people who are reckless with said speech. So, freedom to me I guess would be the freedom of expression, whether it be ideologically or politically, freedom of movement to go and visit friends and you know family or travel between borders. But I'd say that I don't know if we've ever had a state of freedom because the freedom of movement is obviously curtailed by the fact that we have border forces and border controls which means that you can't freely move between countries. So I don't know if you've ever been free Calvin I guess is is the, is is the short um answer I have um so did you do you would you have examples where you could see uh I guess more I mean utopia is a big a bit of a reach but <laughs> would you Could you describe a state whereby you would say you, you've observed what would be the closest things to individual and civil freedoms within a society or a country?
2: Yeah, so I would say we've always been free. You know, you mentioned, we can, have we ever been free because we have borders? If we didn't have borders, we wouldn't have countries. So if we didn't have countries, we wouldn't have freedom because we wouldn't have laws. We wouldn't have laws of the land. And the reason we've always been free in this country is because the law of the land has by default been common law in that you're free to do whatever you please unless it's explicitly curtailed in the law. Uh, which is opposed to countries like America, where you're free to do what is said in law. We we have the inverse system. So I've, I've said I think by default we've always been free, and more and more now, probably probably over the last five years or so, we've seen d- different freedoms being adjusted uh, for the sake of uh, always well intentioned, for the sake of good things, like you just mentioned, uh, um, not wanting to libel someone or not wanting to cause offence. And we've, we've gone down a slippery slope of, well, what does offence mean? What can be said? Who, who, who decides what's hurtful or harmful? Um, who decides what we're allowed to say? And you mentioned Ofcom as well. Uh, I think they're a very dangerous body. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were set up for a good purpose to ensure that the media has balance. But I don't think that is what they're doing at the moment. I think they're stifling free speech in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the th- updates from... Ofcom last year uh, around the peak of COVID was that um, broadcast media should not question or undermine public health bodies. And I find that very disturbing, the idea that you shouldn't question. Oh, undermine? Sure, I get that. But shouldn't be able to question public health bodies. Um, it's this idea that there's one one approved narrative. We almost follow it. Whether that's the government narrative or it's the social narrative around sex, gender, race, whatever. uh, uh, It seems to me in in our society at the moment, all all aspects of our lives, there is an approved narrative that we must adhere to. And if you stray from it, you're cancelled or you're ostracised or you're a bad person. And I think, you know, you sound like someone who believes in open debate and, and, and exchange of ideas and the free marketplace of ideas as well as goods. And I think that's important. We need more of that. But I, I think we're heading in the opposite direction.
0: I think it's interesting that you've said a couple of times, uh, you mentioned country uh, and, you know, kind of the laws of the And I think that that, 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 that is the actual problem or the kind of cause of a lot of the friction we're facing, which is there was a period for 20th century history uh, where being in your country was the predominant thing. But every day now you are no longer in your country because of the internet. The internet has completely evolved our perspective on the world. You know, I've got nieces and nephews growing up with the internet and that changes your landscape. Uh, it's an international landscape, right, Dane, which which instantly shifts what you think is the, the kind of the influences that you can have.
1: Well, th- yeah, I'd say I guess digitally the uh, world's become smaller and borders uh, don't exist within a digital world. I, I, to think of a more physical, a tangible example as well, um, uh, I'd say maybe former Yugoslavia, for example, Within that, as a larger nation, there would have been would well, there have been freedom of movement for Slavic peoples? And following the dissolution of Yugoslavia into smaller nations, and those borders being formed, those freedoms would have changed. But would the state of those people change despite the civil or political unrest that led to them forming other nations? Because I, I do take on board what you're saying about like borders, and if there was no borders, then you know people could move anywhere. But then I think. If we are, and I guess it's, I'm posing this as a question, if we are trying to approach a point where we do observe our most freedoms, how necessary are how necessary are borders in the sense that, you know, we live in a world of global capitalism and a global market where currency is able to move between borders without any kind of um, barriers other than maybe exchange rates and exchange markets. So being that capital- capitalism is a system of labour uh, being used to generate capital, Does it not stand to reason that if money crosses borders, then people must inevitably do the same in order to, you know, realize economic opportunities or exploit potential uh, free markets? Shouldn't, Shouldn't someone with a good idea have the freedom to do so? Like, say, for example, if Elon Musk wanted to relocate his business to the UK, would we want protectionist policies or any kind of border control to prevent him from entering?
2: Now, I would love Elon Musk to come over here and fix our transport system. I've been saying that for a long time. But (laughs) we absolutely need borders, and borders are vital. Borders are so important because borders define us. Um, So you can only have a community if there is another. You cannot have a community without another. We are defined naturally by the other. So that's how we understand what we stand for. So borders enable us to have values, community, uh, engagement. Um, So, for example, British values, we know... Are not universal. We know there are many places around the world that don't agree with our values of, you know, people, um, democracy, uh, rule of law, uh, tolerance of people with different faiths and non-people's. Um, rights to live their lives as long as they see fit, as long as they're not harming other people. All of these things we we see as pretty much, we take for granted, but there are lots of places around the world that do not support those values and we, we would have to name them. We think them. Um, so borders enables us to define those kind of things and say, actually, everyone's welcome here or certain people are welcome here, as long as you say, as long as you subscribe to the values that we are adhering to. I think that's so good. Um, some countries manage to do it better than others. Um, look at countries like Japan, for example, Mm -hmm. very clear what they stand for it's very clear that if you go to japan you're going to live that way of life countries like dubai for example you know their rules you know their values if you want to live there you're gonna have to follow those values we on the other hand are a bit wetter around the edges on those on those uh, enforcing those british values and encouraging people to integrate within them
1: Mm -hmm. Um, is there? do you think there may be a reason for that um for example, I'd put to you, as a, as a practising Christian and a devout Christian, um, the British Isles as a landmass would have been historically uh, Druidic and uh, pagan in some of its beliefs and Christianity would have travelled here through the uh, spread of the Byzantine Empire and, uh, Norm- and Saxonic tribes would have brought Western Orthodox Christianity to the country. Had they been limited to borders, would we be able to observe being a Christian nation like we are now? Um, so, I, I, I mean, I take on board like I take on board what you're saying, but I'd say that, you know, the, one of the reasons we refer to ourselves as Anglo-Saxons is because of the fact that there were Germanic tribes that were ignorant of our borders and decided to come to the British Isles. So wouldn't that be an example of uh, people ignoring borders which have resulted in the betterment of this country and, and really the origin of the name of this nation?
2: Um, well, I mean, our history isn't about people ignoring borders. It's mostly about people invading borders, isn't it? Um, We've had, we've had lots of invasions over the years, and that's why we've become the the Mongol nation that we are. And there's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. I think we, we've passed that stage of countries taking over other countries, that's that's a on era uh, for the most part. And it's still happening somewhere in the east. But when I say we have borders, it doesn't mean people can't cross them. You know, people should be able to cross borders as long as they have the skills talents and knowledge that the country needs in order to thrive it's just a border should not be completely open um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where we, we get a problem as for this being a christian nation i think it's been a christian nation long before then uh but way back to like the third century like, we've had christians entering uh, this country and spreading the faith around and then eventually of course it became the the primary religion and we've spread it around the world
1: where there's been a rise in Atheism and agnosticism in the UK, for example, where many would argue that there is enough scientific proof to refute a lot of the claims made by Abrahamic faith systems, such as Christianity.
2: Mm -hmm. I I don't have a problem with people believing in any God or no God. Uh, What I have an issue with is people that struggle to tolerate people of Different faiths mm-hmm. and none. and I've seen a overt atheism in this country over the recent years, where people yeah. have a real problem with with Christians in particular. Um, yeah. It's why do you believe in the fairy in this guy? It's like a well, it, it, it gives people comfort, and b it gives people meaning in their lives. And if you don't believe in it, that's fine. But why does it offend you so much that other people do? I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm.
0: I I think it's because people have had it had it had it kind of forced upon them, haven't they? That will be why I I, I think a lot of people get.
2: Do people really get religion forced upon them these I days? I think you
0: get it as a as a, as a as a kid. And probably generations past, it's been more prevalent, right? M- maybe that's nonsense, and I'm just making that
2: up. Yeah, because we, we have a law in this country that everyone in a state school should be uh, part of some collective worship, but I've not seen it happening for a long, long time. As assemblies very rarely even say the Lord's Prayer anymore. Uh, everyone's so afraid of offending people of different faiths that we we end up having none.
1: I, I, I see what you're saying about... Um... People should have the freedom of speech and expression and belief. But how far are you happy to take that if we do work towards a utopia of freedoms for everyone? Is there any way where you'd be like, maybe that's too free?
2: Yeah, but it's freedom to and freedom from are very different things. So you should be able to... in in lots of ways, you should be able to say whatever you like. I don't think there should be very many limits on freedom of speech at all, as long as it's not hurting anyone uh, literally, as long as it's not inciting violence, and as long as it's not libeling anyone, uh, you should be able to express your views. That's fine. Freedom of expression is a bit different if we're talking about, you know, um, you mentioned, for example, trans kids. Now, it depends on the context. So if you're talking about a school setting, for example, freedom in a school setting might not be the freedom to wear whatever you like. Um, it might be conformity, in that sense, because you're then you're free from having to decide what to wear. You're free from bullying from your peers. You're free from um, you know if your parents can't afford decent clothes. So freedom comes in. Freedom does come with restrictions some in some way. As in you're liberated through having conformity sometimes.
0: I I, I you know I think we live in incredibly treacherous times for people to communicate. And I would go back to the internet and cite the internet as a, as a as a kind of way that we've kind of evolved our communication. So that even if you knew someone really well and you sent them a WhatsApp, uh, once it's written down in that way, you know, even if you wanted to kind of edit what you said verbally with more dialogue, it's already written down once. That person could 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 take it and just use what you have said as no, that's the that's the gospel of your opinion, right? But I I I think I think we are in some ways freer than we ever have been. Uh, it's just about choosing what we want to fucking do with it, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm not sure what we're doing with it right now is as progressive. And I always come back to that word because. I think, even though there are things that uh, you know, well, the things in your in your narrative that I think conflict with some of our listeners and some of our own, uh, the you know ideas, Calvin. I still think progression. Of a, narrow, of a discussion and, you know, humanity and civilization is pretty much what we're all in this for. Uh, but that,
2: that's the problem, isn't it? Because we always assume that progress is a good thing and it's a it's a linear path and society is always getting better through progress. But I don't think that's always the case. I think sometimes we can go too far and things can become crazy. And, um, you know, we saw this do you with have the an example of of,
1: do you have an example of that? Because that's, that's well, what I'm I mean, trying it, to get it, out it kind of. Yeah, leads me to, right. It kind of
0: leads me to my question in today's episode, really, Calvin. I, I think... It's worth throwing it in now, and we can we can broaden this conversation. Which is which is you know, like a lot of people, we kind of come across your works through your kind of um, some of your appearances on on GB uh, on um, this morning Britain uh, on ITV. I think that's fair to say that. You probably got a few more eyes on you when you did, when you did that huge program, uh, and there's some yeah. interesting stuff in in the clips. They they didn't clip you up, Calvin, and put you I on the internet it. for all time. It. You're out there, right? You're just yeah. you're just out there, as, uh, you know. And and the one that kind of stuck with me was was when uh, the race report came out uh, oh, earlier this year. Fantastic report. And, uh, <laughs> I, I yeah. disagree as, yeah. as my. I've, personal got it, I've actually got it here I keep it as just next to me vehemently disagree um, but why aren't you a big believer in institutional racism and I, I, I put that as a broad question because I, I think we should talk about this I'm just,
1: I'm just going to tack on also systematic, systematic racism as well with that Howard if that's okay with you
0: yeah I guess, well. I guess I guess those two things kind of can be maybe we can work out all the differences yeah. between institutional and systematic racism but let's go over to Cal because I think you know this is some one of the things you've you definitely gained some notoriety for this year uh, and talking about, Calvin?
2: I think it's it's the biggest problem with that report, actually. So the report came out and it looked at so many racial discrepancies, so many injustices and solutions to those injustices, lots of recommendations. But rather than looking through them, rather than debating them, what most people did is picked apart one little bit in the foreword, which was poorly written, that said uh, the report didn't find any evidence of institutional racism in the areas that it looked at. And people spun that to say, this report is saying that there's no such thing as institutional racism in this country, blah, blah, blah. And that's not what it was about at all. It really frustrated me, but that that was the focus of the entire week or two weeks around the release of the report because there's so much good work in that report that we need to get implemented in order to make this country a better place. And people want to bicker bicker rather about whether institutional racism or systemic racism exists in this country. I don't think that's helpful. Um, You know, my belief, whether it exists or not, it doesn't really affect it. Um, The problem we have is that it's used as, as an excuse let's not let's not use a blanket term that is an easy excuse let's look at the nitty-gritty details let's look at which sectors have problems and how they address those problems that's what i think we should be doing
0: i mean it's been an interesting time for the phrase institutional racism because uh without wanting to you know just descending to an argument but uh it's been pretty much proven that there was institutional racism in cricket right
1: well, let's, I, I, sorry to interrupt you, how, let's, let's, try, I, let's try a more poignant example. So the McPherson report was an, a report conducted by the police following the murder of Stephen Lawrence, which revealed the existence of institutional racism within the Metropolitan Police. Yeah. So for me, that being an example of, you know, having a confirmation of uh, institutional racism, mm-hmm. um, how, how, so, that, so, that, so that's that, that, so maybe that's an yeah. example to discuss. But that's that. what people
2: wanted, I think, Dean. I think that's all people wanted from the credit report is confirmation of their own personal biases. They wanted people to say, yes, that is racist. Uh, but, but then how does that help? And how do we move on from that? The report wasn't about that. It's about, look, there's a racial injustice here in the education system. This is what we think we could do about it in order to improve the situation. And surely we all want to get to that point rather than just be able to say, yep, yeah, knew it was racist. Well, yeah.
1: I think I think when you look at the pathology of addressing a problem or an issue, whether it's a uh, social one or even a psychological one, they all say the first step is admitting you have a problem. So prior to the McPherson report, there wouldn't have been any discussion of institutional racism on mass or within mainstream media. So the revelation of that would at least be that there are maybe some people who, because they, for example, uh, so you you grew up in a in Mansfield, North, uh, so it's kind of Nottinghamshire. Yep, historic yep. mining town um what would you say the, the population ballpark would have been for uh black Britons there very very small we were very, very small. the first black families in the town right so would it stand to reason that because the inhabitants of that town would have never experienced uh, had had any black people around it would be harder for them to believe in the existence of institutional racism prior to a report being published would that be fair okay. to say
2: I don't think it would have affected them, to be honest, in that in that, in that sense. Do you but think that's, saying... that's 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 my problem? That people in the so if it was using my town as a specific example, I don't think the term institutional racism would have been helpful in any way in in, in that context because mm-hmm. the, it would have meant nothing to them. Whereas racism was an issue in the town. Mm-hmm. Um, I experienced racism firsthand quite a lot growing up in a pretty, so, predominantly so, white town. So, I, so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that's a, I don't think it's as easy as saying that there was Would you, would you say racism?
1: that's, that's, that's institutional? That. If, if there's an entire town that maybe holds racist beliefs or aggressive beliefs towards that's it, state, I wouldn't it, say the town
2: more. was racist I wouldn't say the entire town was racist I would say the many ignorant people within the town that were racist towards uh, people that were different to them and you find ignorance everywhere but it doesn't make it doesn't make an entire town racist and I think it's a very lovely town I, I've still got family there so I wouldn't denigrate the whole you know what I mean
0: but are there levels I, to racism and isn't that kind of what makes this kind of you know the the the, the, the slight kind of denial that you had about it on the you know the, the way you approach talking about it
2: kind of so controversial because you know I've not yeah. had any denial about anything so I, I'll, I'll take that with point of contention but I do think look if, if an institution is institutionally racism, racist it will be set up in a way that it's Harder for people of ethnic minorities, or there are more hurdles for ethnic minorities, or there's or there's more negativity towards people of ethnic minority status,
0: like British, like the cricket board, yeah. So that would be the, that would be a definite thing where it's going to be proven very quickly that, because that the would evidence. Be a good example, yeah. That, that that is a good example.
1: Or, 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 yeah, or an example would be like seventy percent of all business loans that are applied for by Black Britons are rejected. No, and that would so- be a poor example. And why would, why would it be a poor example? Because
2: this this is the this is the core premise. This is the thing that we get a lot: is that a racial disparity is not proof of racism, right? So we saw this all throughout. You know, the, I'm sure you've heard the example I use many times. But people always say to me because of the credit report. People always say, "Well, uh, in the NHS, black mothers are more likely to die in childbirth than white mothers. Therefore, the NHS is institutionally racist." And we, when we take a statistic like that and say, because there's a disparity due, due to race, it means that there's racism or the institution is racist. That doesn't help because it's, it's incorrect. The NHS is not institutionally racist because of that. It might be because of other reasons, but it's not because of that. Likewise, I often say, well, actually, if you're a white cancer patient, you're more likely to die than if you're a black cancer patient. I don't think that cancer doctors are treating black patients different to white patients and giving them better treatment. I don't think that that's, that doesn't work with me the logic makes no sense therefore we have to look at the disparities further rather than just a surface deep level and point a finger
0: and where and where if you go further does it take you
2: exactly so most of the time most of these disparities come down to demographics so whereabouts in the country you are uh, wealth and class are massive factors so so the the disadvantages
0: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today.
2: Areas have much. Uh, more problems with NHS, with education, et cetera, for everybody, not just people of ethnic minority status. But then you look down at the demographics, you see actually, well, there are more people of ethnic minority status in these deprived areas in the cities. And then you have to look at, the, well, why is that the case? So every time you look further, there's a there's a new bit to it that needs addressing and another piece that needs fixing. These Those puzzles are deep. You know, nothing in our society is as simple as saying racism. And if it was, it would be much easier to fix by now. But what that does is it gives people an excuse. And this is the problem. Because once people have an excuse, they don't have to work for themselves because they, they're passing the blame on something else. And life is very, very tough. Life is very, very difficult. We never get where we want to get in life. We never achieve all the goals we want to achieve in life. So if there is an easy escape clause to say, yeah, it's, that's why, because, you know, the white man kept me down. That system is against me. I was never going to make it. <laughs> then people are going to be held back. And I think that's a shame, a great shame.
1: I agree, but then I would say going back to the previous discussion we had about borders, then it stands to reason that maybe if uh, the white man wasn't able to penetrate certain borders or invade them, then, for example, Indigenous Africans would be able to take advantage of the resources that are Native to their own lands, for example.
2: I don't see how that's relevant to today at all. And that's that's well, I mean, it, you know, the problem a lot with that of that is we go back far enough. You go back far enough, you can say, Well, this person invaded that person, that country invaded that person. You know, everyone goes back to, Well, the white man did this and slavery that. And we, we don't talk about actually, it was, there were many African tribe leaders that were enforcing slavery a lot longer in Africa before, before the white man even turned up to the continent and continued throughout. Are and we, then we're,
1: we're confusing the indentured but, servitude with chattel slavery because you, for all, example, part of that part of the... Well, I know, but I'm saying in relation I don't to that, see how I be the fact that relevant to us well, today. Well, the fact that following the end of chattel slavery, all taxpayers, both black and white, would have had to continue to pay compensation up until as recently as 2017. Now, I would argue that if I while I want to not remain blaming uh chattel slavery for any shortcomings I may have in my life, I think it stands to reason that if I wasn't subject to a policy whereby I had to pay the captors of my ancestors for them losing slaves, I probably would have had a more capital to begin my life with. I think it's fair to that's, say
2: that's, a, that's that's not true I and mean, it's a negative spin. I think it's a fantastic thing that this country was instrumental in ending slavery on a global scale. But that's um, also
1: but that's also not true that because No it's no, absolutely.
2: We the I, I this mean, country a lot of I, money, a lot of men But that's not
1: that's not that's not true though that this hadn't just gone instrumental in ending slavery. I'd say there are several other factors. For example, the Haitian Revolution, industrialization which should have led to the end of slavery. And I'm saying following that like me still paying or my family still paying compensation to lost these victims when I've had no direct benefit from that up until 2017 doesn't really sound like a progressive policy that would allow me not to blame the white man if he's still taking my money. You know, you yourself have you've campaigned for defunding the BBC, which is tax funded. Well, yeah. you know, that's another example of, you know, tax funding the progress of another person who's in a higher socio and economic group to myself, who probably doesn't need the money. Whereas, you know, if I was able to keep that money, I probably would have done better with myself and have less people to blame, is what I'm no, saying.
2: I'm all for less tax for everybody. I think tax is a bloody disgusting thing. It's terrible. But I don't see how well, yeah, you have a Yeah, But,
1: uh, but ta- taxation systems also, like universal tax- taxation systems would have arguably been another way to oppress, you know, like you mentioned, working-class minorities or people from impoverished backgrounds. So I think it does stand to reason that, like, with uh, regressive institutions, whether they are a result of racism or classism, if those do inhibit the personal or economic progress of a group of people, that's the reason they're going to be held back. So it's not really blaming the white man, but it's still a policy which, irrespective of race, has held a lot of people back. Isn't that not fair to say?
2: No, I don't agree at all. How come? Well, I mean, the policy you're talking about in particular, in that there was massive payments to end slavery i think it was, i think that's probably a good thing if we're if we're stopping slavery i think that's probably a positive for for the world and for this country uh it cost us a lot of money but we did it because we had to do it uh i think it's very negative to spin that around to saying oh i didn't want to have to pay for some someone that lived a high life uh, hundreds of years ago i mean if we 100 so up until 2017
1: that's four years ago i'm saying No, no I'm, but no the as recently as four years to, no, no longer exists but as a taxpayer up as recently as four years ago i am paying people who would have already made billions from being slave owners in the first place, and you're my only anyone. argument is, I am paying. Yeah, this is this is a, this is a, a documented fact that so we so the people still... that were paid off are all dead. Well, this, their estate is still paid off up until twenty seventeen. So who's no, that no, money no, the, going the to? The
2: debt is paid off. So right now, the money you're paying goes to the government, goes to our debts, that our national debts. Well, the but
1: government the problem... would have also the government would have also benefited from slavery as well. Surely, they would have been actively involved in the slave trade, and so they're still benefiting from it, despite posturing as if they've ended it i feel like if you the idea of slavery is to use labor for capital or labor exploitation for capital so if you still have taxpayers paying capital towards you that's still exploitation and they're still benefiting from the after effects of slavery as opposed to people that may be descended from people that are enslaved
2: so you feel like you're enslaved
1: i feel like Well, using your example of taxation, I think if I'm paying tax towards people who already benefited from myself, my ancestors, and money still goes to their estate,
2: to the government. Where does that money go? Well, that's a good question. Where does you're it not, go? you're not, you make it sound like you you personally are giving money to some rich white man who's keeping you down. That's not the case at all. When we pay our taxes, it's the public funds that is paying for your hospital, paying for your roads, paying for your national debt. Also so you for, that, but
1: also paying for their banker bailout. So you had private companies like you know Goldman Sachs where Rishi Sunak would have sat as a board of directors who then yeah, were yeah, the yeah, ones yeah. that ratified a bailout. And then my tax money went to bailout institutions which are supposed to be parts of free markets that are historically owned by rich white men where these institutions would have been initially founded on slavery that's where stocks you know stocks and trades the initial stock would have been chattel slaves and the money that had risen by that allowed for america to become a hegemony over the world and that only ended with the introduction of the cotton gin by other white industrialists as well. And as a result of that, I've had to pay compensation in the form of taxation up until 2017. And I'm saying, along the lines of your logic as well, taxation, as an idea, is terrible. Particularly, I feel, when I have to pay that same financial restitution to people who have already made money, historically, from my ancestor suffering.
2: How much have you paid, Dana? How much has it held you back?
1: I mean, I can't even. I, I only found out that we paid compensation until 2017. But yeah. what would you what would you say would be an acceptable number for me to pay towards former slave owners? Because I'd say the answer to zero. So even no, if I paid a no, pound, no, I'd say no, you're too not much. paying
2: anything towards. You're not paying anything towards a former slave owner. There are no former slave owners in this country. You're paying nationals that you're paying taxation, which is a shared public fund. We've got past that point. You're not paying any rich white man who used to own slaves or any of his ancestors. Well, like, like, yeah, I am because
1: I've explained why. Is that because I've, I've because if I've paid but, towards a banker bailout, we've all, anyone who's paid tax and their money's gone towards bailing out banks as a result of a financial crisis has paid towards predominantly rich white men.
2: It's a a very interesting stance that I've not actually heard articulated in this way before, but it it feels to me very harmful to you because you seem to be stuck in this, and I hate to use the word victim mentality, but it seems to be like, you know, you you feel somehow held back or somehow deprived of something. For
1: for a better word, let's Um, say shortchanged. I think I, I agree with your point where you said about taxation goes towards municipal services such as universal healthcare, yeah. which I'm is like itself sort of privatized. Or, you know, not in I,
2: of, yeah. poor people giving money to rich people. Or That's, that's
1: my point. Is all that of like, you know, you could argue. All of that. And, and with your point, with your point, no, with your point, so I say, with your point that, you know, poor people shouldn't have to pay taxation towards making rich people richer. And I'm saying, within that, you could, I mean, it's a statistical fact that black Britons, for example, are overrepresented within the poverty line within this country. Is that fair to say?
2: Uh, but I, again, if you're going to take that disparity and turn that into a, a causation, then I would say no.
1: Well, I mean, I'm not saying that the I'm, I'm not saying that the causation of them being overrepresented in poverty is a result of them being black. But I'm saying that is okay. just circumstantial, and I'm but saying yes. by that same token, they would make up the same tax base as you know a working class white person that has also equally paid towards financial relief for people that initially profited from the slave trade. And I'm saying then it makes me a victim, but I feel like I'm shortchanged. I'm speaking from like even in this in this particular instance, I'm talking from an economic perspective that if we're in a free market, how can we have a system whereby a socialist institution like tax pays for a private institution like investment
2: banking? Yeah.
0: Well, but thankfully I tell you what, that debt it, is
2: being paid off, so you're not going to be paying it anymore. Uh, I'm I'm sorry that it's upset you, and you didn't. I mean, I'm sure you can get a refund on your five pound or whatever that it was that you contributed towards it. I mean, but,
1: I think it might be more than five pounds just just from that, na- just from the natural merit of it being taxed. Like, and even yourself, like you know, that's it's all like you know. So, you,
2: would you be in favour of reparations then, Dan? It depends
1: what you define as reparations. So, um, do you, so just like well, a, just as money being paid back to me by the government for slavery. Yeah, do you mean? Yeah. It may not be as simple as just money, because I would argue that money has its owners and money is subject to hyperinflation and the valuation of money can change. And so just giving people money may not be particularly profitable. But I would say that um, there are certain institutions, like, for example, maybe concessions for tax for the descendants of uh, continental Africans would be a good method of reparations if the idea is not to be a victim and for everyone you know, to be able to observe the opportunity to exploit or uh, I guess to aspire to their creative potential, then I would say maybe I shouldn't pay as much tax as most people because, because I've had to pay. Well, because,
2: because you're brown. Hmm. Because you're brown.
1: No, but because um, I don't believe in taxation, and I should have the freedom of expression. That I don't. So really only people that t- believe in tax should pay tax. Yeah. That's, a, that's, how faith, that's how a faith system works.
2: You're, you're conflating so many different things though. The taxation system is problematic, I'll give you that, but you you seem to be winding it into, into race somehow. Everything comes it gets wind into race. I find it fascinating. I don't know how the two are intertwined.
1: I mean, well, I would say that taxation, uh, the real, the realization that you could have a universal tax ba- you can have a universal tax base, which means that everyone has to pay, could be more profitable than indentured servitude or slavery in a world of industrialization. So that's the why I'd say they, they conflate, is that I imagine at some point, those people who have been initially profiting from labor exploitation of slaves and chattel slaves. Uh, with the rise of industrialization, it meant that there were machines and automation that could do the job uh, for longer and better than your f- former chattel slaves. And I think a lot of governments would have realized that if they have everybody paying tax en masse, it would have probably resulted in being even more profitable than um, indentured servitude in the same way that that still allows that continues to exist alongside um, the penal industrial complex, for example. So the reason why I guess they all conflate is because I guess this is all based, it's all predicated on the idea that chattel slavery was the basis that allowed for the West to rise as a capitalist superpower, economic superpower through capitalism. Because of all the free labour and all of the capital that came in, it means that all of these financial systems that have followed in the West are all linked to what the benefits that slavery provided for enslavers. So I guess that's why it kind of conflates. Sorry. And I would...
0: Dane, I was just going to say, this is a, probably an opportune moment to pose your question, which is, you know, this narrative of this episode is, is is intertwined. And I know you were kind of going to ask something that I think feeds into what we're discussing here.
1: Just following the, the previous question, you've said that, you know, it, it appears that I'm kind of uh, angry or, or does appear to have a issue of victimhood as a brown person, which has affected my opportunity for economic progress or to realise my human potential and that, you know, these shouldn't be drawbacks to my personal progress. Um I'd say that there are several several instances uh other than like, you know, paying compensation. I would have said that, you know, there are issues like a number of people who have been members of the Commonwealth and have lived and worked in the U- in the UK following the Windrush being forcibly be deported um under mistaken uh you know, just uh, yeah, under under mistaken information and then dying in absentia and not receiving any compensation would hold somebody back because we have systems whereby we're supposed to remunerate people if we make mistakes of a civil nature, but people haven't been repaid. So I would say that would be an example. Um, I'd say an example being like, you know, 1,476 deaths in police custody since 1990 and not one conviction can also impede people's personal progress. The failure to discuss critical race theory um, would also be, you know, because like I said, it's it's theory rather than fact. So the the lack of willingness to discuss critical race theory seems questionable and kind of aggressive because it should, you know, based on the first discussion we had, freedom of expression would mean if people want to expunge a particular theory, they should have the freedom to do so. But um, a lot of people deny that. So I guess I'm saying, and I'm sure I've made it very clear, I know racism is alive and well in the UK and globally and has inextricable links to capitalism, which you may dispute at points. So... I was wondering if you could give me examples where you've observed the most racial harmony within the UK, which would refute the claims that are made by many people that institutional racism and systematic racism not only exists here, but also impedes the progress of people of colour or people from ethnic minorities. So is there any clear example of racial harmony which you could see is directly progressive
2: to encouraging racial harmony within the UK? Okay, good question. I'll, I'll try and break apart all of that that you just said. So starting with um, compensation and reparations, the reason I don't think that would work is because we'd essentially have poor black people paying money to rich black people because the moment we say the government needs to give money to people, it's not the government's money, it's our money, unless we discuss we don't like taxation. Moving on to uh, a lot of these links to the past, a lot of historic trauma, so to speak, and things that might have some links to us today might not. Um, I find that very can, interesting. Can I give you an example
1: of, of historic in, trauma? Just, just a context. Uh, um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he begat his only son and whoever should believe in him should he have eternal life. Who suffered on the cross because he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death and was buried. 2,021 years later, that example of historic trauma is the basis for the entirety of a whole religious group for most of the people on this planet. So... I think sometimes historic trauma can be very relevant because we replicate it every Sunday.
2: Only when you use it for good. That's the problem. (laughs) When you you stick with it and use it for negative, use it for an excuse, use it to hold you down, that's the problem. A lot of this is about holding people back. So a lot of it is... So the examples you use, for example, Windrush, that was a terrible... Government policy. It was disgusting, a massive mistake. I think they've apologized for it. They should do. Um, I don't think any, I don't think I know anyone that would agree with that policy. However, how did it affect you personally? What has held you back personally? You seem to take a lot of gripes with these things. Deaths in police custody, always wrong. Whenever someone dies in police custody, always wrong. White men tend to die the most in police custody. It's not an issue of race, it's an issue of injustice. And we should all be fighting for injustice. Critical race theory, this inability to discuss it. I think all we do is discuss critical race theory. I've discussed critical race theory more in this past 18 months. than I have anything else, to be may, honest? May, may
1: I ask your definition of critical race theory, just so we have context?
2: Critical race theory is the, the theory of critical race. It's, it's, it's a, from American academia. Um, it was originally actually a an idea in law to look at racial injustices um, in, in a context of law and got expanded beyond academia, beyond law, to look at wider society and looking at situations through a racial lens and, and think, tr- trying to solve injustices in race, in racial inequalities. Um, but I, I think it's flawed for many reasons that I've talked about in, in other outlets. But we, we certainly do discuss it quite a lot. I actually think it's very divisive. I think it's made, making things worse. I think it's people that use it tend to be well-intentioned but misguided.
1: Um, do you think that same kind of uh, kind of variance on the understanding of or the expression of the theory is very similar to like denominations of the church, for example? Because you have Catholics, you have Protestants, you have Lutherans, you have Jehovah's Witnesses, you have Seventh Day Adventists. Even though they may have variations on the theory of on various on Jesuit theory, I'm sure you'd argue that as long as they, they do believe in center God and Jesus Christ in their beliefs, they still have the right to exist. Is that not fair to say?
2: Everyone has a right to exist. Sure. Oh no! The
1: ideology to exist and to be able to be examined and expressed.
2: I've, I I've like... never said we shouldn't examine it. Never said we shouldn't. Uh, Do so you think critical yet.
1: race theory would, can still exist in academic institutions
2: and should be discussed? It should only be discussed in academic institutions, in my opinion. But.
1: I think mean, um, it's the only place it's been discussed so far. Like it's not. No, really it's been discussed problem.
2: all over the media. It's been discussed in schools. It's been discussed everywhere in politics, in the Houses of Commons, it's been discussed everywhere. To say it's only been discussed in academia is, is misingenuous, disingenuous wrong. But the problem with CRT is that I said it shouldn't be taught in schools as fact. And that's this is what the Equalities Minister said. This is what the Department of Education has said too. Because the problem there is that we have young black kids being told they're victims, they're held back, they're oppressed, and that's self-perpetuating because we tell people that often enough they will believe it. And we have white kids who are being told your parents or your ancestors were bad people and therefore you are bad people and somehow you are privileged and I get that other people who are watching this might have different descriptions of of what white privilege means. In that I think it means that you know white people are somehow privileged, but I get that other people think it means that it, being white doesn't means that the color of your skin doesn't hold you back. But even that is incorrect, and I've disproved that many times. Uh, so all of this is very harmful. It's divisive. It's not helping uh, social cohesion, and that should surely be something we're all working towards. And You mentioned at the end of your question, do we have anywhere where we have social harmony in this country? I think in general we do have social harmony in this country in general it's a it's a multi-ethnic country um I, I happen to i spent 15 years living in london and we have people from all backgrounds all races all religions getting on for the most part uh, quite well uh we all have equality under the law not everything not everything is perfect it's not a completely meritocratic society but we can all pretty much get wherever we want to be if, as long as we work hard enough And that's the message that we should all be sending. What do you
1: you think the biggest contributor to the social and racial cohesion in a place like London has been? um, Because again, going back to your discussion about borders, I think the fact that, you know, London has become a melting pot because of, you know, immigration policy initially has probably allowed for there to be more social cohesion so if we do have stringent borders and stringent border control how are we able how would we be able to continue still continue to observe social cohesion if we have examples like watching 27 people die on a, a dinghy trying to get to the country as asylum seekers or we have uh, the Windrush scandal, where people who have been living in the country for years are uh, dying of, of censure due to administrative errors, or you know legislation like the 1982 Immigration Act that Margaret Thatcher said, where if your grandparents aren't British, then neither are you. Like, how can any of these policies aid towards continuing uh, social cohesion?
2: Very easily. So, con- control is not well, control borders. is not the opposite of open borders. Um, closed borders is the opposite of open borders and that's not what anyone's suggesting control is very important, we need to know who's coming in this country, we need to prevent terrorists from coming into the country, we need to make sure that people coming in have the skills, talents and knowledge that we need in order to make the country thrive and to make the country grow and and we need to make sure that people coming into, into the country are going to adhere to or subscribe to British values and Bring their own country, culture with them, absolutely, but take on board ours too, and not want to destroy it, and not want to destroy us. I think that's very important. Uh, so I really struggle when people say, "Oh, controlling borders is, is racist, xenophobic, or or somehow against open borders." It's, is it is it
1: because it, of the uh, the criteria that kind of is included in the border controls? In that, for example, there is nobody who would, in fact. A lot of South Africans who would have repatriated in the UK were given financial assistance to do so, as well as like a lot of white Britons were given financial aid to be able to settle in places like Australasia. Um, whereas, you know, continental Africans and uh, members of the Asian diaspora haven't been able to enjoy those same freedoms. So I'm not sure if. Um, what do you mean? You think we should give people money to settle here? Well, I mean, if they're British people and it's it's worked. No, as in. How come some people are able to do so, and some people aren't given money to settle here, and some people aren't given money to settle here? I don't
2: think anyone should be given money to settle here. I think if people want to move to the United Kingdom, they should be able to support themselves, and not. The problem is we have too many people that are ready to move here because it's such a good welfare system. People are the people are coming over the Channel, which you mentioned. They shouldn't be. At risk of dying in the channel, they shouldn't be crossing those dangerous waters in a dinghy. They don't need to. They're already in a free country. They're already in the United States of Europe. For goodness' sake, you don't need to cross, escape France to get to Britain. The reason people are doing so is because they have free healthcare over here. They get of a free hotel. They get given a mobile phone, money to live on. They get free uh, universal credit. They get all you know, so many good things that we're da- giving away to people for no reason. Do you, do you think? Problem.
1: Do you think these are all good things that make you a good or happy person? With and I, I ask within the context of you being a, uh, a believer in God? They're do you think money and nice mobile things. phones and they're nice things? No, but
2: No, they're not good things. They're nice things. They're attractive things. And if you're not getting free things in one place you, and you see free free things get, being given away in another place, of course you're going to go to that other place. What we need to do instead is make sure that these p- places that are escaping are improved and better and help people with, with nation building where they live rather than just having a free for all.
0: How's it gone with uh, the whole nation building?
2: Uh, <laughs> not very well because we're not doing it properly. It's terrible.
0: Yeah, it's not. We're not. We're not. We are we have not proven to be too great at that one, have we? Uh, is, is, uh, it, is, it there, is there
1: anybody you think a figurehead you think you could blame for the poor policy? <laughs> Why, is it Why are you always such
2: a negative outlook? Why we always looking for someone to blame or something? something
1: well, it's like, not. Culp- okay, like let's let's let, let, let's not look at it from fault. So not culpability, responsibility, because we do appoint people and figureheads for these specific tasks and we do salarize them with our own money so you know speaking as someone who also believes in the idea of free economy or free commerce as a customer if I pay for a service I expect that service to be done to the most optimal level so don't look at it from blame but I have delegated as a taxpayer and as a civilian the responsibility of diplomacy and foreign policy Mm -hmm. to somebody else so If they have underperformed, am I not, as a free citizen, able to scrutinize them? I wouldn't say it's negative. Of course, you That's what I mean. Is there there not someone that we should be scrutinizing for our foreign policy, creating the need of creating hostile environments that require people to seek asylum from?
2: I don't think we have an hostile environment, but yes, we should be. No, no, I mean,
1: the hostile environments that people leave in order to seek asylum in the UK, for example.
2: Yeah, we should be holding all of them accountable. And if anyone is to blame, it's us. If anyone wants to blame, it's you. You voted for these people. That's, <laughs> I didn't vote
1: for these people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's
2: no, how no, Calvin. I, did, I, didn't
1: vote for, I didn't vote for these people.
2: I <laughs> but in general, that's not. how democracy works. We get the people we vote for. If you, want a, if you want a better politician, either vote for a better politician or stand yourself. Well, that is actually uh,
0: <laughs> on the agenda one day, Dane. Uh, it would be interesting. Uh, no, it's a no from Dane. At exactly. <laughs> really, this particular yeah, point. It's, it's really, because
2: we sit there moaning about the, the calibre of our politicians. But stand up. Anyone can vote for election in this country. I've done it cost, myself.
1: But doesn't it cost £1,000 for you to form no, your own political not party? Not no. How how did it go for you when you you ran...
2: Loved it. Absolute f- greatest time of my life. Fantastic Why was it the greatest time on- of your life? That's a fascinating statement before we wrap today. I was up. on the ground with everyday folk, finding out what matters to people, what they care about, what they wanted help with. And just working with people on a local level. It was, it was amazing. You don't get to do that very often because we're, we're siloed in our different industries or doing whatever we need to do to survive. Um, just yeah, just being with the people was great.
0: That's interesting. It's, it's it's been an interesting episode, hey Dane. Um, I think we've 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 you know had proper discourse. I hope that it hasn't been
2: shouty nonsense. But well, you must get a lot of shouty nonsense, Calvin. No, no, people people like to shout. I just sit back and let them get on with it, and then when they're finished, I'll say my bit if they want me to say it. If they don't, fair enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd I'd say Calvin. I think I think I feel like we've only scratched the surface.
2: Yeah I think, I think, think
1: there's, there, a lot, there's, yeah. there's a lot of lattices and a, and a lot of uh, threads that may have been conflated that I think you and I could uh, dissect and so I hope this is the beginning of a much larger conversation and I think we've really it's so this. difficult
2: it's because we have and I'm, it's it's applicable to me and you but it's applicable to so many people in society these days that we see the world through very very different lenses we've lost it comes back to social cohesion, I suppose. We've lost a, a united lens. And it's diff- very, very difficult to get down to the core nuance because we're looking at the surface um, from different angles. And it's really challenging. Even, you know, we, you said how do you define CRT? And I assume the reason you asked that question is because you might have had a different definition if I had, had that, given my definition. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with everything, you know, with race. We don't even agree with what racism means anymore. We can't get to the crux of the matter because we're stuck on the surface. Mm-hmm. That's a problem in our society.
1: Yeah, and I, and I feel like I would argue that social cohesion requires ongoing discourse. And I think that theories, whether they are social, theological, economic, always should be reviewed. Methodology should always be tested and new ideas and conclusions should be formed based on the testing. But I think that that's not going to happen unless we are people are open to be responsible for those findings. Um, so again, as I say, it's um, it's been a good conversation. can't lie. And uh, I've enjoyed having this conversation, but I feel like it's just the beginning of a much longer one. And I think, you know, Will you come back, Calvin? Would you yeah, come would you, back? Would you come back? Yeah, yeah,
2: always happy to chat. Yeah, anytime.
1: Well I think, yeah, I think chatting um is a is a I think we can both agree is an as a historic British value that would be very beneficial for social cohesion. If
2: I could Usually with a cup of tea.
1: With a cup of tea. Okay, I mean, I'm, fine. I'm, more of a, I'm more of a green tea person, but um also, you know, tea doesn't come from this country, so Oh gosh, <laughs> that's the great
2: thing. That's the great thing about Britain, isn't it? We have oh, yeah. we adapt pe- things from other cultures because we're very we're very happy to do that. We're not xenophobic in any way like that.
1: And I and I would say that I again agree. That's my one of the better things about the British Commonwealth is that it's this uh, synchronicity of various other uh, gifts from other cultures that makes Britain great.
2: Yeah, we popularized I just think- it. We might not have created it, but we popularized it.
1: Well, Japanese may have something to say about that as well, but uh, that's another (laughs) conversation for another time. Um, Thanks again, Calvin. Could you uh, please tell the listeners where they could find out more about your works and narrative and where they can hear more
2: about you? Um, I suppose... Tune to GB News if you dare uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell it's the first time anyone said that on this podcast but there you go yeah. read the Telegraph read the Daily Mail you can always follow me on Twitter at Calvin Robinson until I get cancelled from there um, on all the social media channels just type my name in Google I don't know. oh cool
1: yeah so check that out um, and I think as I said Calvin I think it's been a very healthy discussion but I definitely think it's one that needs to continue um, because I think yeah a lot of the time uh, effective debate cannot be done in the space of 280 characters or within IG Live. So, if you're willing, um, I think we should continue the discussion.
2: Can we give a shout out to Katie Stevenson as well for making? Yeah, it happen shout out Katie Stevenson <laughs> for making it happen
1: um, from the old school friend and stuff who did it for you. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, Calvin. Thank you. God bless.
0: You've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebapttweets. Or Instagram at DaneSnapteast. Our guest was Calvin Robinson. You can follow Calvin on Twitter at Calvin Robinson or on Instagram at Calvin Robinson. The show is produced by me Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at dbqepodcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Planning for your next trip?